Thanks for tuning in to the Living Grace in Today's World podcast, brought to you by Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. Our pastor, Dave Roberts, shares this message from the Bible about God's gift of grace and what it looks like to be people of grace in today's world. It is our prayer that you will see how different God's grace really is from everything else. Welcome to Living Grace in Today's World. Enjoy! Welcome. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this fourth episode of Living Grace in Today's World. My name is Dave Roberts. I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, and uh, we're so glad that you've joined us today. During the first three episodes, we've looked at what grace is and how it impacts our lives. We've looked at how people can get the wrong impression about what grace actually does, and uh, sometimes they can even feel that grace is a violation of their sense of justice or even fairness. You can't just let people off the hook for their bad behavior, can you? People need to be held accountable or they're just going to do it again. Yet uh, grace is always for the undeserved, the sinner, the violator. If it is earned, well, you call it a reward or an achievement or something else, but you can't call it grace. And today I want to look at how dangerous it is to find validation or justification in your good deeds or perceived righteous behavior. You may remember back from previous episodes uh, where we talked about the two trees in the garden, signifying the only two ways any person can live. You're either going to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. The first tree, it's the world system of behavioral justification. I did good, therefore I am a good person. Or I failed and I deserve punishment. I'm not a good person. The tree of life isn't concerned with all that. The tree of life is Jesus. It's, it's relationship. We have this loving connection with him. and It's not about how well we perform or how often we fail. It's about him. He's the beginning, the end, the sum of all things. And so with that brief introduction... Let me move into the story I want us to look at today. It's the story of the prodigal son found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Funny side story before I get started. My oldest grandson recently went to a weekend youth event where there was a guest speaker, and uh, I asked him what the speaker spoke about, and he said, Pops, it's always the prodigal son. It's always about the danger of sin leading us to eat slop with pigs until we come to our senses and give our lives to Jesus. It's always about the prodigal son. (laughs) I just had to chuckle. I'm going to remember that every time I read Luke 15 for the rest of my life. (laughs) But that's the story we're going to look at today. But my focus is not on the wayward, rebellious prodigal, but the other one, the other older brother. You can read the story in Luke 15. Let me give you just a quick recap. Uh, The younger of two sons goes to his father and asks for his inheritance early so he can leave home and live life the way he wants to. For some reason, the father says okay and gives him the money so he can try life on his own. He leaves, heads off for what the Bible says is a distant land. By the way, sin always leads us to distant lands. (laughs) He lives it up, living the way he wants to live, and 
Today that would mean parties every night, lots of alcohol, drugs, prostitutes, women. Verse 13 says, he squandered his money in loose living. So once the money runs out, he has to find a job. And he ends up feeding pigs. So he finally comes to his senses. The biblical word actually means he stopped living an insane life. He's reminded that his father's servants have a better life than his in the pig pen. So he heads for home. All the way, he's practicing his repentance speech. And uh, he's going to admit his wrongdoing to his father. He's going to beg to be treated at least as well as the servants in, in his father's home. And so he, he gets home and he begins this speech, in which the father promptly ignores and turns to his servants, instructing them to put the best robe on him, put a ring on his hand, kill the fattened calf, because this son of mine was dead, has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate, it says in verse 24. I think that's a picture of heaven when every sinner comes to faith. Before we talk about the other brother, though, isn't this just an amazing story of grace for the prodigal? It's amazing, the whole concept of grace, because it's such a violation of every principle of justice and fairness we know. There's no penalty to be paid by the perpetrator here. There is no scolding of the parent. There's no eliciting of promise to future compliant behavior. There is simply just a party. <laughs> Sometimes people tell me that God wouldn't want them because they are so damaged. What? We're all damaged. We're all prodigals living in distant lands when we come to Him. Yet when we stop living insane lives and come to Him, there's no scolding. There's no, you should have listened to me in the first place. It's just grace. Don't you love the grace the Father has shown to your prodigal heart? What about the grace he shows to someone else that you've decided doesn't deserve it? Let me say this again. No one ever deserves grace. That's the point. So we've come to the older brother. He's been out working in his father's field all day and doesn't know what has transpired with the homecoming of his wicked little brother. We pick up the story in verse 25 of Luke 15. It says this, Now his older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, well, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. You can almost hear the joy in the servant's voice. Oh, but he became angry, was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? 
And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. And that's the end of the story. Those words hanging in the air and the brother standing outside the party. He's taking issue with dad because of the grace shown to such a violator. Have you ever taken issue with God over his grace for somebody else? Uh, I remember a lady in, in a church where I was serving once, and she came to church alone because her husband was not a believer. And every time we asked for prayer requests, what do you think she would say? Oh, please pray for my unbelieving husband. If only he would come to the Lord, our family could be whole. And this lasted for years, and then one day God answered her prayer and showed grace to her husband. He came to the Lord in a miraculous demonstration of grace, and he confessed to years of alcohol abuse and neglect of his wife and kids, and the whole church was encouraged to see God's grace so mightily at work. He started attending every Sunday. It was easy to see God's work in his life constantly growing and maturing in the faith. And then something strange happened. About a year later, one day, the wife just left. She had been the brunt of her husband's waywardness all those years and all those years of requesting prayer for his salvation, and yet she wasn't ready to accept it. Perhaps... She never really thought it would happen or secretly hoped it never did. Maybe her prayer requests were attempts to highlight her devout spirit in comparison. The bottom line for her was, he just didn't deserve it. Here she was serving God alone all those years, and now the church making such a big fuss over her husband's salvation. She came to despise grace because it was given to someone so undeserving. She left the church. She left her husband. The reaction of the older brother is, it's a lot the same. He's appalled by grace and turns the attention at once to his track record of good behavior. I've served you for many years, behaved well, yet you haven't even given me a goat, let alone a fattened calf. Who is he making the villain in the story? Well, his father, God. You see, that's where behavior-based Christianity always takes you. You become judgmental of the behaviors of others and blame God for being complicit with this whole scandalous thing called grace, which pardons the criminal, forgives the guilty, so I ask, is this condemnation, this judgmental type of spirit prevalent in the church today? David Kinneman wrote a book called Unchristian, where he researched what young people outside of the church think about the church. How is the Christian church perceived in today's culture? Here's an excerpt from the book. He says, one crucial insight kept popping up in our exploration in studying thousands of outsiders' impressions, it is clear that Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. 
We have become famous for what we oppose rather than who we are for. We are known for having an us-versus-them mentality. Outsiders believe Christians do not like them because of what they do, how they look, or what they believe. They feel minimized, or worse, demonized by those who love Jesus. And whether or not it's true, the truth remains that that is the way we Christians are viewed by a whole generation. Could it be that there is a bit of older brother judgment present in the church today? We must remember that the older brother is hurting himself far more than he is hurting his younger brother who is what? Enjoying the party. Holding other people to our standards is not healthy for us as believers. And besides, it's just not effective. It does not work. You don't tell people how bad they are to attract them to a God who loves them. <laughs> Grace is the entry ticket to the celebration and the dancing and the feasting and the joy of Christ in this life. I don't know what your reason to remain outside the party is today, but I do know this. It's not valid. There is no possible valid reason you can have to refuse the offer of the Father to enter the party. It's interesting to me that the Father shows grace even to the judgmental, self-righteous brother. The Father goes out and pleads with him to come to the party. Let go of your condemnation, your judgment. Come in. The word plead here in the Greek is parakalei, which is a compound word. Para means to come alongside, draw near, kaleo, to call. The Father is calling the Son to come near. It's a word of intimate invitation. It's interesting because this same word is used in John 14 when Jesus says that he will not leave us alone, but will send the Holy Spirit, our counselor, our comforter, our parakaleo. The father is calling the older son to come, enjoy. The Spirit of God is calling each of us to come near, to lay aside our complaints, our judgments, and enter the party. So many people, including so many Christians, are not experiencing the feast they have made this experience with Jesus something other than singing and dancing and eating and joy in the Father. It's all about work. It's all about living a certain lifestyle. It's all about being held accountable for righteous behavior. And it, it, it leads to such scattered and stressed out and pressure-filled lives. And it's just not the way God intends for his children to live. It's, it's, it's living the Christian life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's a question. Are you so busy trying to earn the good life that you're missing the good life? Doesn't make any sense. And the most tragic part of the story is that everyone in the household is feasting and dancing and celebrating except one. This hardworking, good-behaving, never-in-trouble brother was left out by his own choice. I, I resonate with this story. Because I'm the kind of person that always wants to, to do right. I, I made good grades in school, never got in trouble. 
Well, let me think about that. Uh, almost never. <laughs> but you know the type. The person who wants to be seen by others as a good person because of their good behavior. And I'm naturally prone to self-evaluate my performance. And I, 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 I'm quick to take blame for my shortcomings. And, oh, yes, want my successes noticed. And But in Christ, I've come to see that he looks at none of that. He's not keeping score. He's not keeping a record on me. He just wants to know me and love me. Jesus wants to hang out with me. And you too. I think that's what heaven's going to be like. No records of successes or failures, just the glory of Christ filling the day. So I say, why don't we just go ahead and get started with that kind of life here? Now. Thanks for listening. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.